Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life and that God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. So here's the truth. You have choice. And if you want to serve God today, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the thing as well. God has choice. God's Word tells us to delight in persecution. Well, that's only possible when we stay focused on who we belong to and who we suffer for because He suffered for us. Today on Practical Christian Living, we begin a series in 1 Peter, a letter written to encourage believers everywhere to remember the hope we have in Jesus during the darkest trials. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for the richness that we find in your word. And we think of Peter's heart as you move upon him to write to these Christians who are under persecution, that they would remember who they are, whose kids they are, and what they have now and what they have in the future, and how we're supposed to live here now, putting our minds on the things that are to come. And so, Lord, we look for you to do a work with anticipation and expectation. We look for you to speak to us. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. After Peter had denied Jesus three times, after vehemently saying that he would not deny him, and then finding himself denying the Lord, Jesus went out of his way to restore Peter. At a meal that he had prepared for the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter responded three times, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And all three times Jesus said, then tend my lambs, feed my sheep, and care for my sheep. He took Peter, the fisherman, and turned him into a shepherd. He turned him into a pastor. In essence, what he was saying to Peter is, if you love me, I will forgive you for your denial and I'll empower you and I want you to care for my little sheep. I want you to care for my lambs. Now we come to the book of 1 Peter. It's 30 years after that restoration, probably 31 or 32 years after that particular restoration. Peter has been used by God in many different ways. There have been many who have come to Christ. He has planted churches. He's encouraged people. He has strengthened people. He's done work in Jerusalem for the gospel. And he knows during this whole time that when he is old, that his life will be taken from him. Jesus said, when you are young, you will go where you want to go. But remember, he told Peter at the end of the book of John, but when you are old, they will bind you and they will take you where you do not want to go. He knew that that was in front of him. Do you remember what Peter's response was to that? When Jesus told him, when you're old, they're going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go. He turned around and looked at John and said, what about him? <laughs> so like Peter, so much like Peter. But God was going to, to bring Peter into an area of persecution. God was going to bring Peter and Peter knew that that was yet in his life. He knew that that was in his future. And now he sees what has been called the first wave of persecution coming from the emperors in Rome. He sees the persecution coming out of Rome. 
and they are attacking Christians. They are arresting them. They are killing them. They are malandering them. Uh, they are slandering them and maligning them. Malandering would be slandering and maligning all in the same word. If you're wondering what that is, sometimes I just take shortcuts. My mind just goes, you know, they are slandering them. They are maligning them and their lives are on the line. There are Christians all around Asia Minor who are dying and who are suffering. And some of them, like perhaps today, some of them didn't come to Christ because they had felt called by Christ and they'd been called into this great cause. But perhaps some of them came to Christ because they needed help. They were at the bottom and they saw Jesus as someone who could rescue them. And when you see Jesus as someone who can rescue you, which he rescues many, and then things turn hard and difficult, oftentimes people leave. And so Peter wants to remind them of a few things, and that's where he starts. He hits the ground on this letter running. I think there's only one other book in the Bible that gets down to business as quick as this one, and that's the book of Ephesians. When Paul gets into deep theology, Paul wants these guys in Ephesus. He taught them for two years. He wants them to know these deep, deep truths. Well, 1 Peter isn't like that. It's not a book of theology. It's not a book that's of deep truths to Christians who have been taught really well. It's a book to help people survive, to help people stay close to the Lord, and they understand that they really and truly do need that. Peter is writing to these people that are in the midst of crisis, and he, he comes right out of the chute, running hard. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. These people have been dispersed out of Jerusalem, They've gone all around the known world. It has been God's plan to spread the gospel through difficulty. Immediately when the gospel began to be preached, there was persecution from the Jewish leaders. The same people that persecuted Jesus persecuted the early church. And under the pressure of that persecution, the gospel spread to the surrounding cities. And then under persecution there, spread even further. And they were finally dispersed. And he gives a list of cities here that are all in modern-day Turkey in their day, what was known as Asia Minor. He says to the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, the letter of Galatians was written to the people of Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Talk about a deep and powerful statement. We got bogged down in the first part of that statement last week. So I want to, first of all, I'm going to revisit that a little bit, but I'm going to stay very disciplined. I'm going to do it really disciplined tonight. I want to get into a little bit, but before we do that, why does he say to them, after introducing who they are, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father? Because he wants them to know that they have been chosen by God that they might be suffering now, that they might be facing persecution, that when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble and that they're going to arrest you and they're going to take you before magistrates and they're going to execute you, he wanted them to know that God knew about this beforehand, that he elected you by his foreknowledge. God knows the future. He knows our struggles. He knows our difficulties. And he chose us and he's placed us here. He knows what we're going through. And he wanted them to understand that. Now, the fact that this statement, elect by the foreknowledge of God, gives people some problems in their theology doesn't bother me all that much. 
If your theology stands against the Bible and you have to change the meaning of words and change the meaning of passages to make it fit your theology, maybe it's time to abandon your theology. But here's the truth about God's choosing us and and us choosing him. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. The Bible tells us that choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life and live. The Bible says whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life and that God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. So here's the truth. You have choice. And if you want to serve God today, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But here's the thing as well. God has choice. And God gets to choose. So God chooses and you choose him. How do both of those work together? And what if God wants to choose, but you don't want to choose? Or what if you want to choose and God doesn't want to choose? And you might say, well, what if I'm not chosen? We'll call out upon his name and then you'll be chosen. But I don't want to call out upon his name. Well, then you're not chosen. Well, that's not fair. (laughs) They call out upon his name. But I don't want to call out upon his name. Well, then you're not chosen. Well, that's not fair. And it's this giant circle. Here's the thing, anybody here who wants to call out upon the name of the Lord can call out upon his name and be saved. And what you're going to find out when you get up to heaven is that God says, I chose you before the foundations of the world. And you go, man, you are blowing my mind. How can I choose you and be saved? And then you chose me from before the foundations of the world. And I think God's foreknowledge is only a piece of it. In other words, I don't think the whole answer to this difficulty of God choosing and us choosing and both of these working together can be completely answered by God using his foreknowledge. Yes, God uses his foreknowledge. God knows the decisions you're going to make. He knows the way you're going to move in your life. And he even said in Romans 8, 29, that whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Because he knew that you were going to follow him, he began to work in your life and he began to predestine you and he began to establish you. But you're a unique individual. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the person sitting next to you is a unique individual. And the person sitting next to them is a unique individual. All of us are unique. We're all different. And I believe we all have a unique relationship with the living God. I don't believe that there's anybody that has a relationship with Jesus like mine. And I don't believe there's anybody that has a relationship with Jesus like you. It's all unique. We want methodology. We want to put everybody in the box. This is how God did it with me, and this is how God does it with everybody. We like methodology. We like theology. God likes to move in the lives of people. And if God chooses to call some to be saved by barely moving it upon their heart and then obediently following him, And if God chooses to knock some people off of a donkey and blind them in order to bring them to himself, then God does that. Why doesn't he knock everybody off a donkey in order to get everybody saved if he desires that all would be saved? I don't know. But I don't think we can put God into methodology. And I don't think we can put God into theology. I think we just look at his word. And his word says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you. If you call upon the name of the Lord tonight, and if you never call upon the name of the Lord, then you won't be saved, and he won't have chosen you. But right now, it's all from your perspective. But you get to choose. But the day will come when we will find out, as Jesus said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, I've chosen you. 
we enter into the kingdom and we turn around, the door we enter in on, it says, whoever will let him come, we go through the door, we slam the door behind us, and it says, you have not chosen me, I've chosen you. And we go, boom, there goes my mind. It just got blown because it's hard for us to understand. And people start making their little lines. God does it this way. God does it that way. God, there are some people that can't be saved. Not everybody can be saved. There are people who can't be lost. All of a sudden, we get into these theological debates and arguments that I really do weary of after a while. And what happens to me, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you. I'm easily distracted. (laughs) So here I am teaching... You know, I'm trying to teach Peter as it's written, and all of a sudden I get to a statement like, elected by God's foreknowledge, and there I go. Woo! I'm talking about theology instead of what God's wanting us to really understand. See, God knows that some of you guys here have suffering in your future. God knows that some of you here have difficulties. Maybe all of us have difficulties. Who knows if the Lord tarries? and and we all go to be with the Lord instead of the Lord coming and taking us, then all of us here are going to face death. Every one of us. We will see people that we love die, and we ourselves will die. Our darkest days may be in front of us, and God knows that. And when we face dark days, when we face difficult times, we need to know that we have been elected by God through His foreknowledge, that God is on the throne, and that none of it has taken Him by surprise that it may take us by surprise, but God's never shocked. God's not up in heaven saying to Gabriel, look at what they did. I can't believe it. You see what happened to them? In a thousand years, I'd have never thought that would happen to them. God knew that it would happen long before. And so he says, elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's good news when you look at it from another way. Because if God has elected me by his foreknowledge, then he knows that I'll follow him. He knows that I'm on his side if I've been elected by his foreknowledge. It's an awesome thing to understand that. And then it says, in sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, talk about a deep statement. In the sanctification of the Spirit, the word sanctification, I'm going to boil it down to its simplest meaning, and then we're going to talk about what the word means, okay? So when it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, to be sanctified and the sanctification of a a saint is being made holy. When the Bible says you, Christian, are being sanctified or that you are living the sanctification of the Spirit, it means that God's Spirit is at work in you, making you holy. God's moving in your life. He's moving in your heart. He's convicting you. When you do something that's wrong and sinful, when you're not obedient to him, when you don't want to be obedient to him, when you seek after the things of the flesh, when you seek after the things of the world, the spirit works in your life and your heart, and he is sanctifying you. If that is not happening, according to 1 John, then that is a sign that you have not really committed your life to Christ. Because the Bible says, if you say you love him and do not keep his commandments, then you are a liar. If you say, I love God, but I don't want to keep his commandments. I love Jesus, but I don't want to do what he says. Then you're lying. You don't really love him. Because one of the things that happens when you love Jesus is he changes you. Everything becomes new. And one of those things is, is that you want to do what he wants you to do. Doesn't mean you always do it. I wish it did. I wish at the moment we were born again, suddenly there was an instant halo, boop, right over our heads. And there we were, perfect Christians. 
never going over the speed limit, never getting angry at someone who cut us off, never losing it with our children, but always perfect, even, and steady. But that's not where we are. We're living in this world, but we are being sanctified by the Spirit. Praise God. And I love that it doesn't say sanctified by your flesh. Because I could today say, listen, Christian, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Pull it together. Start reading your Bible more. Start praying more. Start seeking God more. People of today aren't serving Jesus and aren't following Him the way they should. The church is a mess. I could come down on you guys. You know why I don't do that? A lot of pastors do. You know why I don't do it? Because I don't think you guys are a mess. And I don't think that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps anyway. For one thing, we don't wear bootstraps, even though we live in Tucson. Most of us don't have bootstraps. But I don't think we could do it. We need the Spirit in us to be able to do it. And so instead of saying, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to knuckle down. I'm going to do it, do it, do it. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Instead, we say, God, please help me. Lord, I need your help. I want to I walk pleasing to you. I want to live my life so people around you see you in me. I need your help. God sanctifies us by the work of his spirit. And isn't that good news for us? Isn't that like the best news ever? That it's not sanctification by our flesh, but it's sanctification by the spirit. God in his spirit is sanctifying us. And so I love what Galatians says. Galatians says, if we walk in the flesh, then we're going to fulfill the deeds of the flesh. But if we walk in the spirit, we'll fulfill the, the fruit of the spirit. And so it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. We don't stop the deeds of the flesh. And I love that Galatians, that same chapter, chapter five says, and the deeds of the flesh are evident. In other words, I don't have to tell you. And then he goes on giving a long list of the deeds of the flesh. But he says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And we all know what they are. And we don't want to walk in them, but we do sometimes. And when we want to stop walking in them, how do we do it? By fighting it? Nope, by walking in the spirit. When we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but we will sow to the spirit and from the spirit, we will reap life. And so step by step in the spirit, literally that's what it says when it says walk in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. Just say right now, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me make decisions by your spirit. Help me when I walk out of here to do so. Walk in the spirit later on tonight. Walk in the spirit when you wake up tomorrow morning. Walk in the spirit when you drive to work. Let people in front of you. Walk in the spirit when you get to work and step by step in the spirit. And here's the promise of God's word. You will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. We have sanctification by the spirit, not sanctification by the flesh. And then he says to this, what happens when we're sanctified by the spirit? That's a work of God. That's not our work. I can't make the spirit sanctify me. That's God doing his work inside of me. I can ask for it. I can beg for it. I can plead that God would sanctify me by his spirit but I can't do it. Only the Spirit can. And so he says again, elected according to the foreknowledge of God in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. When that Spirit sanctifies me, what happens? I no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now I walk in obedience. Suddenly I find that I'm doing things that are pleasing to God. I'm living my life in such a way that God is pleased with them. So the obedience happens from the sanctification of the Spirit. My greatest goal then should be to walk in the Spirit. If I can walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The deeds of the flesh will fall away in obedience. And then I love this. 
My obedience isn't the end. Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm looking around. Most of you guys here were with us as we went through the book of Leviticus. How many times did we talk about the sprinkling of the blood of the animals that were sacrificed? You remember, they were supposed to sprinkle it around the altar, right? Almost all the sacrifices. They were to go and sprinkle some of them on the front door of the tabernacle and on the gate of the tabernacle. They were to go inside and sprinkle some on the curtain. They would even go once a year and sprinkle it on the mercy seat inside. After they gave a sacrifice, they would sprinkle it on the people so that when you left, when you went to give your sacrifice and you would be there in the, in the group of people and sacrifices would be being given and you're waiting for your sacrifice to be given so you could have that moment with God and by the way, I think that worship today, when we worship and praise him, that's God making that moment for us today. There was a moment when you watched your animal brought up to that altar and sacrificed on that altar. And it was a very personal moment between you and God. And it was a moment of worship as you gave that animal to God and you realized that your sins were forgiven. And God has given us worship that we would worship him and understanding God's forgiven our sins and we're drawing close to him. And it's a very intimate and a very personal, a very close time between us as we gather together and worship him and God. And so it's, it's the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. It is his blood that is sprinkled so that even if I'm not obedient, I'm forgiven. So I have the sanctification of the spirit to obedience, praise God, and the sprinkling of the blood. Where I haven't been obedient, the sprinkling of the blood takes away my sins because Jesus died on the cross for me and took away my sins so that I stand before God pure and clean and holy. Isn't that verse just an amazing verse? We're chosen by God. We're elected by him for the sanctification of the spirit to obedience to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. How much that says to us and what it really speaks to us. And Peter, wait until he gets going. He has just started. That's the first verse where he gets into his message, and it's packed. He gives a little greeting after that, the end of verse 2, grace to you and peace be multiplied. He says to you guys that have been chosen and elected of God, who have been sanctified by the Spirit and obedience and sprinkled with the blood, grace, God's unmerited favor. One thing about grace, you can never earn grace. You can never do enough to get grace. Grace can only be given to you. If you've earned it, if you should get it, if you say, Lord, you should do this for me, then it's not grace. You've earned it. Grace is unmerited favor. So when he says grace, when we sing, we've got one song that we sing, grace like rain falls down on me. I love the song. I love to picture myself in a rainstorm of God's grace. Not anything I've earned. Not God saying, Robert, you've been a good servant for me. You've been a good worker for me. You've been faithful. Not none of that. Just God saying, Robert, you don't earn, you have never earned any of this. Here's my grace like rain falling down on you. And I picture myself in a field spinning while I'm worshiping. I'm letting you into the mind of Robert Furrow right now. It's a scary thing. Spinning in the grace of God that is undeserved, just falling down on me. God's grace. And grace brings peace. I know most of the time, I haven't looked it up completely, but most of the time it's grace and peace. I can't think now of a time it's peace and grace. You might be able to look it up before this study's done and see if it's in there. But I think it's always grace and then peace. Because once you get God's grace, there's peace. 
because it's unmerited favor. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.